Hey, fellows, I'm Peter M., and I'm happy to present the first episode of my podcast, Wild Knowledge. Welcome and make yourself comfortable. In this podcast, every week, I'll track and capture a piece of wild knowledge. As everyone knows, knowledge is the best of games. My gear, social sciences. In each episode, I'll make a short scientific analysis or give you some essential facts on a given topic. We'll be roaming together the valleys of anthropology, the plains of linguistics, the forests of history, and the depths of political sciences, where I'll try to catch some new species and your attention, hopefully. I actually am a social scientist myself. I have a PhD in social and historical anthropology. But I swear I will not be bothering you with the anthropolingo. I believe every fact, even the most complex, can be explained in a clear, accessible and thorough way. In this first episode, we'll talk about anthropology. Not the retail chain, of course, the social science. So what is anthropology anyway? What does it do? And the question I'll be focusing on today, can it be useful in any way? It may sound a bit absurd to put it that way, but in our time of one minute reading online articles, quick decisions, and worrisome geopolitical and ecological context, it's a question you can ask. You know, tell me about it, the world's gone crazy. After all, anthropology is the art of observing while living. It's the art of sitting somewhere, having a drink, talking to people, and just trying to figure out what's going on. You know, it's long, it's calm, it's deep, so can it still play a role in the game now that everything is going so fast? Well, spoiler alert, yes it can. Let's talk about it. So, anthropology is a social science, which means it concerns humans and the way they live collectively, the way they live as a group. Anthropology is a quite young discipline, actually, as compared to history, for instance. We have very ancient historical accounts written by people who thought themselves as historians like Sima Qian in China, or Herodotus in ancient Greece, writing around 100 and 400 BC respectively. Unfortunately, we do not have ethnographical studies from these times and places, and that's a shame is what is. I mean, picture that, a book, a Grecian book, named uh, Guys Before Gauls, an ethnological study of Gaulish gender norms, or something like Roaming Romans, an anthropology of Punic Wars veterans dealing with PTSD. That would have been so interesting, that would have been so great, right? Well, it would have been great indeed. Anyway, although many texts had been written about human differences around the world, anthropology as a science really took off in the second half of the 19th century, basically. I'm not going to tell you the whole story of anthropology, as you can imagine, but I'll mention important trends and facts about the discipline. I'll start with something quite negative and not really reflecting well on anthropology. At the beginning, anthropology was intimately connected to colonialism. No, oh, not a no, that's a disgrace, all right. But anthropologists have since understood the disastrous effect of colonialism. And it has actually developed one of the most critical and realistic discourses on Western imperialism. But yes, anthropology was collecting intelligence that would be used to dominate and control populations. Anthropology and anthropologists largely benefited from colonial support. How so? Well, it's easier to collect knowledge when you have the means to force people to share it with you. Bunch of bastards! So at first, anthropologists thought that their mission was to study what they called primitive societies. They saw these societies as immobile, century-old unchanged social groups with untouched customs and traditions. They believed that their mission as anthropologists was to record these customs and traditions before they would vanish. Progressively, though, some searchers came to realize that it was not only the colonized countries that were of interest, 
but that the colonizer's society was also to be looked at. At the same time, the vision of archaic and changed southern societies versus modern evolutive western societies began to falter. Ah, finally, when it was about time, mes amis. Notably, the members of what is known as the Anthropological School of Manchester participated in this change of paradigm. Lovely. That what men. In a famous article called Analysis of a Social Situation in Modern Zululand, published in 1940, Max Gluckman developed an unprecedented approach that was to change the whole discipline. The paper is often simply referred to as the bridge, because it's about the inauguration of a new bridge in South Africa. In the article, Gluckman looks at the social changes occurring in all of the social groups of the colonial society represented at the inauguration, be the white colonists or African political leaders, for instance. Anthropology, he posited, should not be a science of the motionless locality, but a science of the ever-changing everywhere. Well, I ain't got no home, I'm just a roaming round. I'm just a lonesome worker, I go from town to town. Police make it hard and wear. And my sister is treaded on his road. It's a long and dusty road. Now, there's another fella I must talk about, as long as we're discussing anthropology. A guy who's considered to be one of the founding fathers of ethnography. His name is Bronislaw Malinowski. He was born a Polish and he later obtained British nationality. In 1914, he started an ethnographical work in the Trobrine Islands where he developed a set of tools that were to become anthropology's method a method that is still at the center of the discipline today. We call it participant observation. Well, I've never heard of anything like that before, but I'll tell you something, I think it's a swell name. Back then, as I said earlier, most anthropologists thought that their duty was to record information about cultures outside of Western countries. They often did that by going somewhere, learn some of their language, and then conduct interviews or ask questions around. They would select a person, or some persons, called informants, who they deemed qualified to answer their questions. If they wanted to know about religion, for instance, they would interrogate a priest or a person in charge with the religion in the society they were studying. Of course, they were also collecting material data, artifacts, and actually museums in Europe and America are full of them. Some of these items were taken in a quite sordid manner, as you may know, and that's another story. Malinowski thought of it differently. Instead of just coming into a society, taking information and leaving to write a book with it, he decided to live. For a long time in the society he wanted to understand. He was participating to the community's activities while taking notes. This Malinovskian method that we know today simply as the fieldwork has proven to be the best way to understand how societies work. It is truly a life-changing experience. You're displaced away from your comfort zone, away from your social setup, and it's a very healthy approach to difference. You're humbled, as when you first arrive you're like a child, you don't even understand half of what's going on. And you have to listen to people. You have to understand their way of life. You have to let them guide you into their world. Well, I'm out of here a thousand miles from my home. Walking a road, other men have gone down. Then I'm seeing your will of people and things Your popper 
As you see, anthropology has gone through a lot of changes in the short time of its existence as a science. However, what has remained the core of anthropological work is an interest for how people anywhere on good old earth share visions of the world, how they live, following social rules and beliefs. All that is what we call culture. So yeah, culture is what makes anthropologists' mothers running. It's one heck of a challenge to define it, and I'm not gonna do that here. But what is certain is that trying to understand a culture is a way to think about the otherness. And the first step for an anthropologist who's trying to understand a culture is to put up a fight against his ethnocentrism. Hey, watch your mouth! I don't know what that means, but it sounds like an insult. Ethnocentrism is the tendency we all have to believe that our own vision of life, heavily influenced by the society we live in, is the best one, the only correct one. It is basically thinking that the way people do things in your own culture is the way everybody should do things everywhere. The essence of anthropology is to take a step back, to look at cultures from the outside as much as possible. It is simply about realizing that there are many ways of living in a society, many ways of being human. Well, it's not only anthropologists who came to realize that. Everybody can observe and think about cultural differences. In fact, thinking about cultural diversity is very important for people to decide and understand who they are. This is exactly what Norwegian anthropologist Frederick Barth suggested. In a book called Ethnic Groups and Boundaries, The Social Organization of Cultural Difference, published in 1969, he showed that cultural boundaries aren't born from isolation. On the contrary, the more contacts a society has, the more it will think about its specificity, its uniqueness. When you think about it, it's quite logical, actually. You wouldn't think you're different if the only human beings you know are people living like you and sharing your way of life. Well, of course! According to Barth, ethnicity is a byproduct of intense intercultural contacts. So ethnicity is more of a feeling you get by seeing other people do stuff that you and the people around you don't. And looking at the things you and the people living around you do and that other people don't, you're thinking, so this is what makes us a group. This is why we're a society. This is our culture. Anthropologists do that as a profession. The difference is they're not here to emit a judgment. It doesn't mean anthropologists don't have personal values. It doesn't mean they're not fighting for what seems fair to them. But that's another problem. Anyhow, when you're reading an anthropological work, you're not looking for the opinion of the person who wrote it. Books and papers written by anthropologists are here to explore human diversity without judgment. Well, we've drifted away a bit, but let's go back to the main question I brought up at the beginning of the podcast. Right, there was a question. Is anthropology useful in any way? Obviously, anthropology creates knowledge. It helps us to understand how cultures are alive and how they change. One could argue that it is not that useful to know how one's culture works. I mean, of course, you don't need to look at your culture from outside and to think about it to live your everyday life, or even to thrive in your society and reach your goals. That is true. However, there is more to anthropology than that. First, it's interesting. Wow, you're only bringing out the big gun here. Now, this may sound as a bit of a shallow argument, but actually, interesting is a big deal. This is the point of view of French historian Paul Venn, which he developed in his book published in 1970 and translated in English in 1984 under the title Writing History, Essay on Epistemology. The book was a bit of a revolution at the time, as it was built on a strong statement. History, Paul Venn wrote, is not a science, it's just an artful way of telling stories. You're mad, you hear me? Mad. 
The only difference is, history tells true stories, thoroughly reviewing every fact, every proof, to give a precise account of what really happened. The real value of all this, according to Paul Venn, is that it's interesting. Don't ask social sciences to be anything else than interesting, Venn warned, because that's what they do, and that already is a big achievement. So, anthropology is very interesting, right? Knowledge has its own reward, if you will. Does that make it useful? Is knowledge necessary for a human being to live a full life? Well, in my book it does, but I guess that's a judgment call. Beyond that, I believe anthropology can help a society grow better and healthier, making its members happier, nothing less, fellas. Because anthropology is able to explain how racism, xenophobia and oppression work, and therefore it helps us fight them, making the world a better place for everyone. It fosters a dialogue in which difference is valuable, in which frontiers are not lines that delimit, but lines we cross. It shows the relativity of our beliefs and makes us understand the value of peaceful interactions and the incredible power of intercultural cooperation. A capacity all the more precious since it is far from being common on Earth, unfortunately. So, kudos for anthropology. That's all for me, fellas. Now look at here, and it compops the show's over. What do you want from me? All of the audio clips you heard in this episode were created by yours truly, and so was the main guitar theme. You also heard me interpreting songs by other artists. The first one you heard was my interpretation of Woody Guthrie's I Ain't Got No Home, released in his 1940 album called Dust Bowl Ballads. The second piece I played was Bob Dylan's Song to Woody, from his eponymous album Bob Dylan, released in 1962. If you liked this first episode, don't forget to listen to the next ones whenever they come out and subscribe if you want. In the meantime, keep your mind sharp and stay on the lookout for wild knowledge as it can pop out from anywhere.